Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Press Row. Behind the scenes stories from the world of sports media. Press Row. Inside and interviews from around the sports world. Now, here's your host, Jonah Siegel. Jonah here in the Press Row. There are few people with more experience in the world of sports radio and even fewer with direct experience than Alan Davis. Alan was the first ever program director for what is now Sportsnet, the Fan 590. He left that gig in 1997, working in a few other places before settling in down the QEW in Buffalo, where he's been the program director for years. Having heard Alan talk to McCowan and Shannon about his time at the Fan on their pod, I really wanted to pick his brain on the future of talk media and find out from someone who really understands the business where things are headed. If you love listening to Sports Talk, I promise you, you will love this episode of In the Press Row. So sit back and enjoy. Here's Alan Davis. Welcome back. Leave in the Press Row. Jonah Siegel here in Seattle. A uh, beautiful Wednesday afternoon. It's not raining, so we're good on that. And for the rest of the country that's getting pounded and cold and, and wind and, and snow, I apologize. I, uh, I talk to lots of people in, in the industry, the sports media industry. And I, and I do, I look forward to each interview that I do, but I, I have to tell you that uh, my next guest, I heard on the podcast with McCowan and Shannon, and I wanted enough time to pass to give those gentlemen the residue listening to pass so that people could still listen to that before I reached out to this gentleman, because I've been so excited to talk to him. Uh you know the name, you may not know the voice and listen, unless you listen to that, but he is, my words, not his, the granddaddy of sports radio in Canada, certainly in Toronto, the first ever program director of what is now the Fan 590, used to be sports radio, CJCL 1430. He is Alan Davis. Alan, how are you? I'm good, John, and thank you. We've got some bad weather here, too but we'll make through. So we'll you, you, so, so just correct me if I'm wrong. You are the current brand manager for WGR in Buffalo. I am. Um, we're, we're still program directors. We're still feet on the ground people, not far from the studio, but yeah, we're brand managers. Now we, we oversee all content for all platforms. So it's social media websites, whether you're doing any video FaceTiming as well as over the air. And you've been in, you've been there since 2011. Is that right? Correct. October of 2011. And when, when did you leave Toronto? Left Toronto in 1997 in the spring. And was, so remind me, 97 had the, had the station switched from 1430 to 590? Not yet. No, still at, uh, still at 1430, still owned by Telemedia at that time. Was it all sports then? Yes, we flipped it to all sports in September of 92. So five years, all sports, and you get poached in 97. And where'd you head to there? Actually headed to, um, I met my wife in Florida on a hockey trip, believe it or not, Jonah, and uh, down in Clearwater. And we ended up going back to my hometown uh, in Halifax, uh, worked for eventually what was Chum Radio out in Halifax for two years, then went to Ottawa. Uh, and again, Chum, uh, and put the uh, the team on the air in uh, Ottawa. And then from there, Portland, Kansas City, Tampa, now here in Buffalo. So 
if we were in a court of law, it'd be easy for me to get you anointed as an expert in talk radio and certainly sports radio because you've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, I yeah, uh, I don't know about the word expert, but I definitely have been doing it for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you you talked a lot about the early days on the other podcast, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time there because again, I really encourage people to listen to the to the podcast with McCowan and Shannon and, and we'll, we'll put a link in, in wherever we can to drive people there. Cause it's really fantastic. What I want to talk to you today about are a couple of things. One, I, I get into verbal disagreements with a lot of folks about the future of the business, um, where things are headed, not just in Toronto to the degree you can talk about in Canada, but just generally speaking, uh, and you have full, authority and license to tell me that I'm wrong and I'm an idiot. I get it a lot. I have two kids. Um, but I'm much more hopeful than I think a lot of people are. And uh, one of my kids, the one that actually produces and edits this pod for me, is studying right now communications with a minor in journalism. And everyone I talk to says, oh, my God, get him out of that. There's, you know, this is going the way of the dodo. That's an awful place for him to be. And one, I disagree because you follow your, your passion. And if that's what motivates you and it's going to get you out of bed to do well every day, then I think you should follow it. But more importantly, too, because I actually believe that storytelling is going to remain prominent in our lives forever, whatever that means. And the vehicle may change or what we may call it may change. But there's always going to be a place for talk and for dialogue and for discussion. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today is because in, in a lot of ways, almost in every way, Americans are way ahead of Canadians. So your station, by fact that you're talking about social media and platforms, puts you way ahead of what I'm seeing today with what's going on in Canada as I ramble on here. So, so that that's the purpose today is really to understand from an expert, you know, where things are going in your opinion and give us all some hope that for those of us who really enjoy the medium, that we don't need to hold on for dear life because it's going away, that there is actually a future in the business. I would agree a hundred percent. If I didn't, I probably would have gotten out of it a long time ago. Um, but there are certain principles that are in place that will remain in place. And I think you, you nailed it. A forum for discussion on everything, on everything remains. Why is there social media? Why were there techies trying to connect us all? Because of discussion. What was happening in, in my world, sports bars, in living rooms, in guys' basements is now the same thing opened up to the universe. That's not going to change. Radio, specifically for me, has been, you know, the original connector. The original social media was radio. You didn't get a chance necessarily to interact the way you do now with me, but you could call, you could listen. We were together. It was a one-on-one -on -one conversation. That remains, that will not change. And so I'm a 100% believer that whatever the form, vehicle, 
uh, as well, it, it, it doesn't change. Uh, people's passion uh, to connect and engage won't change. And so, Joan, I agree with you. And uh, if, you're, if your son continues on in journalism, bright people who can express their opinion and can defend that opinion, in a, in interact with people with that opinion, that's not going anywhere. That, that's, that's what drives us as a society forward. That's what drives us forward. So some point in the mid 80s, my eldest brother came home from college and told us that there's this thing out there called the internet that Al Gore was working on. Um, and that one day we'd all read newspapers on a computer. And we all thought he was nuts. And then I remember living in Michigan at the time, the first time I could read Steve Simmons's article and Stephen Brunt's article and Damian Cox's articles on my computer for free. And that world has been dramatically disrupted by all kinds of websites and content and idiots like me writing. They're still figuring it out. Ultimately, and you know this better than anybody, the only way the vehicle works is if somebody's making money on the back end of it. So we can, we can both be very optimistic that the medium and the vehicle may change, but there's got to be a way for a business to make money and enough money to pay people like my kid to keep doing it. And that's part of the reason I wanted to talk to you today is to figure out if you have insight into how that's going to work, because that's the, that's where I think people struggle the most is, is especially in Canada right now, what keeps my website and my Twitter account full, unfortunately, is the big nasty L word layoffs. And the easiest way for companies, the laziest way for companies to hit numbers is with an ax which is tremendously sad and unfortunate. So how are things in your world shaping up where, and I heard you talk about this a little bit, that they're investing in people, they're investing in talent so that they themselves become the brands. What's the monetization model look like today? And then, so the best that you can down the road. There it's a great, great question. And I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers. Um, uh, I, I work day to day and I, I turn around at the end of a quarter, I turn around at the end of a year and, you know, I measure our performance based on ratings and revenue, less on, less on ratings, more on revenue when it, when it's in the, the sports format. So the traditional model, Jonah still has value. Uh, sell spots, in other words. And the more spots you sell, the greater return for the company that's in the business. And, and for me, that's Odyssey, um, 100% in the, in the audio business. When you look at their portfolio, though, you see all these radio stations selling spots. Where they're heavily investing is in the other platforms. Uh, the one that you're currently and you and I are on, podcasting. Uh, they, uh, they produce a lot of podcasts. They have shares in companies that produce podcasts. 
So Jonah Siegel, who's reaching so many uh, people, listeners, uh, followers, that's that's a value to them. Uh, what are your impressions? What what are you delivering on a day to day basis every time you turn a mic on an interview, whether it's Alan Davis or anybody else? Uh, they're monitoring that. So how do you monetize that is by getting as many as you can podcasts in the room and selling uh, scale across all of them. A network, uh, a network, put a network. So it's, it's, it, it can't, that's a, that's a word you could use. Yes. But I, I like to, I like to use uh, other words when I look at it, it's like a store, a storefront, almost you walk in and instead of there being, you know, 20 gadgets on a shelf, all, all the same and pick which one you want. You have 20 podcasts up there and you could decide which one, one you want, but there is a brand that's being sold through there because basically your podcast is reaching primarily a male targeted audience. This podcast seems to be getting more impressions from uh, a female demographic and so on. So they, uh, they start to, to uh, put together a formula to allow Jonah Siegel to succeed, but the company also succeeds. So they can take all the back end away from you. Whatever expense or anything that you have, they can take that from you. If you're really popular, they'll compensate you to do your podcast. And that compensation has many different forms. It can be a share revenue. It can be a straight buyout where uh, they're paying you. Uh, they may own the podcast at that point, but those are the types of models that are out there that I see uh, going forward. You could be an independent contractor and cut your own deals. You don't need Odyssey. You don't need necessarily that. If you chose to be aggressive in that, in that way, then you could take your numbers. One of the things with AM, FM radio for years, Jonah, is it was hard to quantify. We were using this chaotic diary system, which I've never felt confident about ever in my entire life how accurate they are. Well, now the technology is available that you can you can see impression numbers by the minute almost. You can see how you're performing. For podcasts, for streaming. For, for, for podcasts, for streaming, and it's getting better for over the air too, because there's the, the people meters that are out there that, that are more accurate. So PPM uh, metering is has had success. And Okay, so we'll stick to that just for a second. That we're going to make a, a U turn. Yeah, is that the same in Canada? To the best of your knowledge, is is the Canadian system any better? Because my understanding is it's not. I don't think it's any better, but they're they're there. But you know, you, you have to. It has to. It only works in a large market. Right. You know, there's still the diary system in other markets, the smaller markets. Now, for instance, in Buffalo, where I am, it's a diary, still a diary market. It's not a metered market. Uh, whereas New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, Boston, San Francisco, and so on, your top 50, 60 markets uh, are, uh, are, are uh, people metered. And there, it comes with its flaws, but uh, certainly it's an improvement uh, from, from a diary method. So I'm not looking for a specific number, but I'm just curious about one thing. You take a guy like McCowan and Shannon. They used to walk into the Rogers studio every day of the week. 
and they would do primetime sports. Forget their salaries and forget the salary of, of the guys that were behind the behind the wall. If you from a production standpoint, not included, you know, how much more expensive is it to do a radio show versus a podcast show? Like is radio cost prohibitive? Forget the people. But is it more expensive because it's over live airwaves versus? Yeah, because you have transmitters. Okay. You, you have transmitters and you have studios and you have transmitting equipment and you have receiving equipment. You have uh, investments in uh, everything from microphones to computers to everything. For, but, but you have that here. So forget same yeah. to same. Yeah, I but think it, I, I think that's largely it. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, that that expense is coming down rapidly. Right. So my question is, I, I happen to drive a car that the guy that owns Twitter now makes. Yes. Um, in that car, there isn't a radio per se. So you actually have to do work to find it. So 90% of the audio that I listen to is streamed. It's either on Spotify and music, or if it's a podcast I'm listening to, I'm, I, I just find the Apple podcast the easiest to navigate. I don't listen to a ton of live radio anymore, just because for the most part, that's not when I'm in the car and everything else I can listen to on demand. But is, is that not the easiest solution? Is that there are there are vehicles to stream live audio without it being on radio. If is radio itself the hindrance? Is that the cost prohibitive that's making it so difficult these days versus podcast streaming? If you know what I mean, I, I just uh, not necessarily. I think it's I think it's just a, a very competitive, crowded field. So okay. that when you when you what we're trying to do is is gather an audience and hold an audience and then take that audience to an advertiser and say, you know, let's put together a program for you to reach that audience. And here's how much that's going to cost. Well, now there are so many different ways for that advertiser to take that budget. So what they're doing, if they have a certain budget of $100,000 before, they might give you it all. Now they're only going to give you a portion of it and they're going to use the rest of it on these other platforms. That's more the reason than the actual expense on the other side. Um, I do think, I do think that breaking news and the, the morning after games in my format, mm -hmm. radio is still the best. Right. I, I think that time shifting is, is definitely here to stay and will continue you know, and, and I'm, I'm part of that. I do that myself, but I, I need to have radio as part of that component. And when the bills win or the bills lose, or if the Leafs win or the Leafs lose, I can, I'm not going to wait for time shifted that I want to know now. I want to hear the reaction now. And radio still does that better than anybody. And if you leave a game and you get in the Twitter his car and you can't hear that live you could stream it but you can't hear it live necessarily and in many cases by the way streaming is protected by the league sometimes so that doesn't necessarily allow you to necessarily stream without you forking over some money 
if you can't hear that live, then to me, that's that's where radio, every, every vehicle, sh- I think most people still want a radio. They expect to have a radio in their vehicle. They just do. And it's it's the uh, it's our industry broadcast over the air broadcast radio industry. They're more at fault than the automakers because they weren't aggressive in making sure it had a position on the on the smart on the smart dial. They they were you know you could not find radio and that's radio's problem. That's much better now. You can see it on a lot of vehicles. It's there, um, and I still be- I still believe that it should stay there. Breaking news is another one. Weather. Those types of things. If you're Buffalo is a great example, John, of where we have these severe storms. And if you're stuck in your vehicle, you can't stream and you can't you AM FM is still your your connection. So I believe that uh, they should uh, it will remain in vehicles. If you and I look out five years from now, technology will have improved probably as it does where. The way you receive AM radio might change, but I don't think it's going away in the next five years. You and I, me particularly, in 10, I couldn't forecast out that way. Because I do believe internet or, or streaming is where it's going to go. And and we're there in that space now. So you still believe, so I, I actually believe, and I'll probably get shot for saying this, that we are going back to work. And by back to work, I mean to offices. I don't know about in Buffalo. I can't speak to Toronto because I'm usually only there in the summer. But traffic in Seattle is is now a thing again. Uh, driving from where I live into the city in the morning is not fun anymore. People are going back to the offices. I don't work there anymore, but Amazon has now told people they need to go back to work pretty soon. Minimum four days a week. Starbucks has said the same. So people are going back to work, which means they're going to be back in their cars. Um, is is morning drive an area where you would be investing in if you were starting a radio station? Uh, yeah. 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 They don't need to go back to work uh, uh, to for me to think that I should invest in morning drive. Um, I still believe the next morning we're going to still be as important as we ever were. That okay. connection is the first thing in the morning, whether I'm in the car or at home, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I listen to my morning show, WGR, Howard and Jeremy on a smart speaker every morning. It's 60 to 90 seconds behind, uh, but I listen to it every morning. I don't need to be in my vehicle to do that. That, that won't change. Um, I do think that People going back to work uh, will continue to increase. I I do believe in that as well. I'm one of those. Um, What I have found, and it's interesting you bring this up because I've noticed recently with some of the personalities at WGR, um, I've noticed a demeanor that is changing. And it's because of the loss of connection with their broad, with their with their partner, maybe mm-hmm. uh, the fact that they're not physically there. Uh, on some levels, the actual show may have improved by the separation. They're more willing to be argumentative where they should be argumentative, as opposed to just allowing there to be this sort of dynamic where one dominates the other. There's, 
you know, by separation, both parties seem to be equal in 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 the discussion in terms of their ability to 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 argue and really discuss it. However, second of that, there just seems to be this. <laughs> I miss my buddy. I just kind of wish he was back in the studio, and so I'm I'm kind of I, I go into work every day now. What I don't do is get up, make sure I'm showered by 7.30 in the morning and on the road by, you know, after eight, I don't do that. I spend time with my morning show up until it's over, go into the office, spend some time with the afternoon show, come home and finish it at home. I love that flexibility. I do think that that's, that, that's been a positive for me and maybe for many others. But Joan, I'd, I'd like to think that people will go back, go back to work. I, as a physical thing. Yeah, I just think that in time, we miss the human connection and we are social animals. And I think that inevitably, at some point, those that aren't there are going to miss out. And I think that not being around the water cooler, talking about what the game last night, what was on Survivor last night, grabbing a coffee, grabbing a sandwich, you know, being face to face in a meeting is, is going to be costly. That's my own personal opinion. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't argue that. I think that our offices, we've, we've taken our footprint, physical brick and mortar footprint way down, yep. way down. Uh, and, and that's been a good decision. And I do think that looking at my industry can't speak for others, but if I looked at my industry, if you want to talk about expensive, that part of it, that part remains expensive. You either lease the land that you're that you're broadcasting from, or you own the land where your towers are and everything. That part of it is still expensive. So that can change and will change. The amount of space you actually need to be able to broadcast has come way down. That that uh, has changed for us tremendously. Um, but I think people getting back to work and interacting one-on-one, -on -one, uh, I'm hopeful that at least for what I see here, it will change. The sales side of it, probably more than the operational side of it is where I see a real benefit of people getting back. The operational side, Jonah, most of the people have stayed. You know, I, I do have shows, as I explained, where one stays at home and the other's in the studio. And that can shift back and back and forth. That flexibility is, uh, they've appreciated that and, and we've had no problem being able to accommodate all that. Sales side of it's a little different where you have, to your point, young people are going, they need that interaction probably to learn what the processes are of engagement and stuff like that in, in, in the sales cycle. Yeah. So you've talked about the bookends. The morning show is critically important. You've talked about the afternoon drive. So if you were starting a radio station, a listening station, let's call it, because I don't know what radio, how critical that word is anymore. What would you do with the hours in between the two? Uh, I'm a big believer in local, local, local. So that has not changed and, and won't change. There's, there's some things that uh, haven't changed for me. And I've been, and I don't think they've changed for somebody like Bob McCown either. Um, I believe that the top personalities talking about what their market is most interesting in, regardless of the vehicle, is always going to be successful. I believe that when I tune in 
when I download or when I press a button to join. I want to, I want to, and I'm most engaged in a conversation about the things that I'm most interested in. That's why time shifting works. It works because all the technology is allowing you, Jonah, and me, Alan, to look at what Jonah's doing and go, I want to go back and listen to this. I want to go back and listen to that because that interests me. Well, for me, here, Bills, Sabres, Bills, and Sabres by really engaged personalities. Right. I'm going to win. I am just going to win there. And that's at any time of the day. doesn't matter if it's six in the morning, 11 in the morning, or seven at night. I want to, I want to listen to that. And if I can carry that just one, one step forward, when Bob and John and I get into the discussion about what I believe is going on in markets like Toronto, I, I can't speak for the other Canadian markets. I can only speak for what I listen to in Toronto. What I believe is happening there is that the people who are responsible for managing that content are not, in my view, directing, working with the talent enough to get them to understand how to engage that audience properly with topics that the audience is interested in. And this morning to me, and any more, I'll pick any more, but I'll just take this morning. Ryan O'Reilly scored three goals last night. Toronto beat Buffalo. And I think that in Toronto right now, anytime I tune in one of those stations, I want to hear about the Leafs. I want to hear about the Toronto Maple Leafs. When I tune into those stations, I don't get that. I get a segment on the Leafs. And then we're going to get a segment or uh, it's magazine style. We're going to shift gears next. As soon as I hear we're shifting gears, we're going to talk about training camp opening up for the Blue Jays next. I would pause that right now and go, no, we're not. We're not doing that right now. Today is about the Leafs. It's finding that story, staying local all day long, and keeping people engaged. They're not, you and I aren't going to be there all day long. We're in and out, in and out, in and out. And I want you coming back. And when you come back, I want you to be able to get what you want. And right now, I don't believe that that necessarily is happening. I think that they're missing on something that I had to learn. I had to learn that myself. I, I did. And uh, once, I, once I figured that out, working with other stations and other talent, that the engagement level happens by, by taking those top stories and staying there whatever time. It doesn't matter, Joan, if it's morning, midday or not, stay focused, play the hits, stay in that zone. Um, you, you can convert that to more impressions on any platform. You can con convert that to greater discussion, greater engagement. Has to take a, it takes a, a special personality to do it. Still has to be really good at doing it. Still has to be twist the same subject 15 different ways but that's what you do. So to follow up to that, they, they, at least one of the stations has invested heavily because they own the team by sending a ton of people down to Dunedin to cover the Blue Jays. Is the answer to that to fill audio clips online with segments there that people can tune into and find on yes. their own? Yes, yes, yes. And you, you're, you're, 
you're doing that for anything you're do, doing anyway. Anyways. You could be doing that for anything you're doing anyway. So you've answered if, the question. Yes. So, yeah. what, so, so to clarify what you're saying is if anyone stumbles onto 590 or 590.com and they're listening live, it's 24-7 because they played last night and it was a big deal. Maple Leafs. Tomorrow, if you know, I don't know what's going on tomorrow, but if something doesn't happen today, tomorrow you can go back. But when something big happens, go with what you're go with the big story for the day. Go with the big story. Okay. Go with the big story. What are networks doing? What are look at other platforms? What are they doing? Right. You know, when a big story hits, it's kind of I look at it like the storm. It's the storm. Here's our storm today. Right. Our storm is breaking news. The Maple Leafs today. Tomorrow, right. by the way, there could be a major story that breaks right. involving the Toronto Blue Jays. Whatever that story is, I'm going back to find out, A, more about that story. And I want to hear from the, the best personalities about that story, what they think about it, what they're talking about. It just drives me crazy when I know there's a great story out there and I tune in and they're, it's like they're not involved in it right? because, no, well, this segment, we're talking about the Raptors. Well, there's no story about the Raptors today. It's nice to talk about the Raptors. You're feeding the Raptor fan what? There's no story there. What is the story and who are the personalities covered? Bob was really good at it. And, you know, there, and, and there were others really good at it. There's, there's plenty of them out there. What I what I maintain is that people managing that above that, that's next level, they're the ones that need to direct that a little little better, in my view, to make sure they stay there. Jonas, talking about the same thing, you you like to talk to people about a number of different things. You enjoy talking to people about all kinds of different subjects. And that takes a special talent too, by the way. But if I said to you, you got to talk about what the top story is all day long. And that top story could be the same story for five or six days. You're going to look at me and go, I don't know that I can do that. Well, you can do that. And you do it by engaging your audience and all these platforms and let them drive that topic for you. I never hear a caller in Toronto radio. Right. Well, they've stopped there's, it. What? There's 500, what? There's 5 million people up there and there's only eight people I need to hear from every day. Well, that's stopped. that's where I think that's where I think problems. What about the fact that I assume it was started by you, carried forward by future administrations, then it looks like it stopped. The lack of development of talent. It just does yeah. not seem like there's a bullpen, if you will, a minor leagues of young talent coming up. Uh on the stations that it's all old is the wrong word. Cause I don't know how old a lot of them are, but instead of going to overnight radio with CBS or ESPN or Dan Patrick, who I happen to like, by the way, and I love his show, but that doesn't work North of the border. You and I know that, right? Isn't it cheaper to get students on the, I mean, I know it sounds embarrassing, but wouldn't you rather have local talent on there talking local than, that, that was my question. Like, why are they doing that? Because it's got to be money related. It has it to is be. Mo that, that is money related. That is money related. Yeah. If you, if you take a look at uh, each hour of your broadcast day and you look at where most of your inventory is driving revenue, it's certainly not in the evening and overnights and on the weekends. And so we have to find an answer because the expense 
is still there to have these shows on the air on all these different hours. So I understand that networks providing content for you, they just in exchange for that that inventory, a barter system that they do, um, we'll give you really good content, we'll keep you on the air, we'll reduce your expenses, and you'll stay in format. And it'd be hard for me to argue that I do it myself. Um, speaking about the development of talent, well, that's why you that's why you have podcasts. I I go to a podcast. How many people do podcasts now? Well, that's an outlet for somebody to learn how to do it. You you are you are the the kid that was in the stands calling the play by play. Well. Now you have the ability to be able to do that right from your home. You can you can sit and do that right at home if you want, and you can email uh, a link to it to me, and and I can I can work with you that way. The development of talent is the fault of all of us. Um, the stars that are out there in many ways are stars because they actually had the ability from the beginning and. We always like to say, well, I helped develop that talent. I, you know, I call bull on that. And in a lot of cases, I don't think we've done that at, at all. Um, you put a couple of people together and say, talk sports, and you, you go like that, and, and you're good to go. And you try to make sure you hang on to the ones who are the stars as long as they possibly can. You know, I'm losing Howard Simon, who's a great talent. He's been the morning uh, host of Howard and Jeremy for, for 18 years. Uh, he's retiring. Well, it's on me to make sure that uh, I put somebody, uh, a team in there that is equally uh, entertaining and engaging. Well, if we're not working on developing talent, then I'm in a bad spot, aren't I? And so I think that that is the fault of us as broadcasters that we've stopped doing that. We say we're doing it, but we're really not doing it. Um, and that's for any format that I listen to. A lot of times uh, uh, a talent comes along that's just good. They're just good. They're Dan Shulman. You put them on the air and away they go. And you say to yourself, well, I developed Dan Shulman. No, you didn't. You just gave Dan Shulman an outlet. He developed himself. Um, but I, I have to say that I do spend time. And it's really for this reason. The stars that I have have earned all their time off. It's as simple as that, John. I've got to have somebody ready to go in when they're off on vacation for five weeks or they can't make it in today. So I put producers in place that are could be that next talent. I, I keep weekend hours available during the day so that we can put people in there and we can develop talent there. We do, we do have kids doing podcasts uh, that they're developing their skill set there. I'm about to have to make changes at the station myself. And, you know, I'm excited about it. Honestly, I'm excited about some of the young talent that we have coming up. Who's next? You talked with Nelson, correct, Nelson Milton? Of course. Nelson and I are the best of friends, have been forever. Wouldn't be here without Nelson, to be honest with you. Um, he and I have had these discussions forever and ever and ever. We always were asking ourselves, 
Who's next? What if Bob can't make it in today? Who's next? Who's next? Who's next? Well, that's you have to be very active in that pool. Every coach of every hockey team, baseball team, basketball team, every general manager is always who's next. We need to be who's next all the time. And you have to invest more time than I think is happening in some places. The, the concept of a ghost kitchen, you may not be familiar with. Tell me. It's, it's pretty cool, actually. Um, companies rent a warehouse and they subdivide the warehouse into multiple spaces and then they lease those spaces to restaurants and you would never know they're there and in those spaces are say they take you know a thousand feet and they subdivide it into 10 spaces and inside that warehouse you get a mcdonald's a subway a burger king and they each have in that warehouse their own little kitchen and in the back door once a day comes supplies and they all split the supplies and they have a common area to do the dishes. And in the front of the door, there's a little area that you can walk in. A, Joe, you and I could walk in and order from a kiosk, but they don't have to deal with hundreds of employees. And more importantly, when the Uber driver shows up, it doesn't clog up a restaurant. And they put these in downtown areas that are kind of dilapidated or whatever, and they serve populations as ghost kitchens. So nobody ever knows they're there but they serve areas where high demand for delivery. That's what they're built up as. Why am I bringing this up? I wondered if the idea of setting up something like that for podcasting makes sense in markets where people could go in and record podcasts because it seems to me like so many media markets have missed the boat. And I'm looking squarely at, at, at Canada and Toronto where they've let so many strong, significant talent go out and do their own thing, a la McCowan, a la Darren Dreger, a la whoever you want. And and why aren't there these studios set up where these, fo- I mean, people are doing it from home, but that doesn't mean that it wouldn't be easier, especially in a city like Toronto, like Montreal, or like Vancouver. I just had uh, the boys from Vancouver on my podcast last week, you know, Sakaris and Price were doing really well themselves since they, they reformatted out in Vancouver. But, you know, could you not set up a, bil- a building that is basically a bunch of podcast studios for people to sit in and then create, I don't remember what you called it. I called it a network, an ecosystem of shows to go out and build, you know, to sell to advertisers. You know what I'm saying? Like it, there is audio out there that people it's, are it's, starving for it. Yeah, it's there. It's it, th- th- that's there now in a virtual sense. It's there in a virtual sense now, Jonah. Um, uh, there are a number of podcast only companies of which Odyssey has invested heavily as as a part owner. So that do- that does exist out there now. And what they're what they're offering is the opportunity. And they're pretty aggressive in some areas. They're offering the opportunity for young talent to start a podcast. And you could do, see, you don't have to have the physical building to do it. You can do your own pod like you're doing right now. Right. You can provide a link, create a relationship, and get all the coaching that you think you might need uh, to present a quality product uh, that people are interested in listening to. 
and they'll take that and and create a model for you to be able to make money and deliver it to a specific audience providing i'll give you a really good example that's a little more basic but it's basically the same thing odyssey has all these sports stations across the country uh in major markets and as I said, you know, an example of that is we have, we own the fan in New York. We own obviously WGR in Buffalo, but we also own, you know, major brands in the sports arena broadcast in all these markets. But behind the scenes, we also have a sports entity that's separate called 2400 Sports. Their job is to create content for audio specific. Doesn't necessarily have to be over the air. It is podcasts that they're working on. And there's a podcast called Always Game Day in Buffalo. Sal Capaccio, who is our sideline reporter and hosts a show called The Extra Point Show in WGR, he does a podcast with Matt Bove, who's the sports director for Channel 7 here in Buffalo. The two of them do this podcast. Odyssey takes that podcast and puts it up. So you can download it, put it on YouTube. So they're doing that all across the country. So they're coming to me and say, hey, you got anybody in your studios who wants to do a Sabres podcast? Do you have anybody in your studios that wants to do the Business of Sports podcast? Do you have anybody that wants to do um, a fantasy podcast? And they're testing and doing all kinds of it. So they have scale all across the country with this farm full of podcasts that they're taking and presenting to advertisers out there to, to participate in. So it exists. So I saw that the, um, the Barstool acquisition or investment closed I saw some of the numbers that they're doing, like 1.6 billion minutes. Think about that. Think about that. What drives that? What do you think drives that? It's demand. It's people are hungry. They're sitting with their iPhone and they're sitting with their smart speaker and they're exercising or they're doing whatever and they're listening. And yet in one market, we're retreating and we're cutting and we're eliminating and I don't, for the life of me, I can't understand. But what when, really, what really launched Barstool was personalities. Right. But it's personalities, it comes back to the same thing every time. Tom Likas, do you remember, do you know who Tom Likas course, is? Yeah, yeah. I worked with Tom Likas when I was in Portland. And Tom, this, I was having lunch with him in 2003 or four, someone like that. Cause I, I, I brought his uh, show to Portland. We're sitting, we're sitting, uh, having lunch. And he just looked at me, he said, you know what, Alan, I don't care how I reach the audience that delivers. I don't care what it is. I just know that I'm the most important part of it. What I do is going to be the most important part. My personality, my ability to engage and attract and hold an audience is still the most important thing. Barstool would be the same thing. It's successful because people wanted to hear or see what these guys were doing every day. And their ability to do that at another level, a totally you know, other level than over the air broadcast would allow. 
without being fined was was the attractive part of it. And that that's the same. You know, Howard Stern left traditional broadcast because he couldn't be who he wanted to be anymore. He goes over to Sirius and basically look what look he's he's more popular and making more money than than ever. Bob, by the way, I believe is uh, on a good track with what he's doing. My point is we're living in this weird world where the two largest media companies own the two biggest teams. And yet, like respectfully, there's 335 million Americans. There's, I don't know, 35, 40 million Canadians. So the, the market size is it, it is what it is. But there are personalities in Canada too, Alan. Like, oh, they've, they, they've let, but they've let this go. Like, how could yeah. these companies not figure this out? They're media, they're media companies. They, they are media companies, but they don't you think they have kind of a monopoly? Don't who's on, on, on certain levels? Who, who is their competition? I mean, the two of them decided to own the Maple Leafs. <laughs> but if they're not, but they've allowed these personalities to pursue to continue on outside of the ecosystem and do things mm -hmm. on their own. And the, the leaders in the space in streaming are not them. And that's pretty embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah. I, I don't know that that's going to, I don't know that I could say that that'll remain that way. Uh, Bob, for instance, he, is he not going back over uh, working with a company over traditional radio doing a show? But he's uh, not, but he's not at Rogers. He's not at Bell. No, I, your argument is right. I get it. But but I, I guess what I'm saying is it may come back around to where they catch up. Uh, they catch up because, you know, I will tell you that in the United States, I don't think that the broadcasters here were leading the way either. I right. think that they had to play a little catch up. Totally. Certainly in the newspaper business, the print business, they had to. Um, so I would tell you that I think that you can't look at what's going on down here and think that we're well ahead of the game. We just got, we just figured out we had to catch up faster. All right. Last, last question. You, your station carries the bills and the sabers. When the bills travel and the sabers travel, do the play-by-play -play folks travel with the teams or are they stuck in your studio? Not always. Um, with the bills, we always travel. We didn't during the pandemic. Uh, with the Sabres, uh, we do not necessarily travel uh, a full crew for West Coast games. But we are back to, and and this expense, our, our particular arrangement, every arrangement with a broadcaster and a team is different. Uh, so in some cases, you have the broadcaster's agreement doesn't include the talent. The team takes care of the talent. We're just the the uh, uh, venue that's providing the broadcast over the air, the, the delivery system, if you will. Other arrangements have no, no. You, the team doesn't want anything to do with it. You you hire all the people. We just need to approve it. You take care of it. So, in the case here, the team has for the Sabers. They are taking care of the talent, so they are making the decisions of when and when they won't travel. And I can tell you on the West Coast Wings. They're really not traveling, and if they're they're basically in a studio, much like Joe is with the Leafs, and they're they're calling it off a screen. They have they have been a little better, if I can use that word, better, a, 
they've they've taken the the uh, I'm looking for the right word because I got to be careful. You know, I, they're allowing their broadcast crews to to travel more this year than they have in the past. Uh, with the bills, we travel. We we have the expense for our crew. We we wow. travel. It's it's six seven games, and it's not that big of a deal. It's it can it can it can be you know it can be expensive because the crews sometimes have to be a little bigger. Right. But you know what? Uh, it, it bothers me. I understand it. The Toronto Maple Leafs just personally, it hurts me that one of the best broadcasters in the game is not at every game. I just. I just think he should be there. I think so the, that crew should be at every game. So the Blue Jays are getting crucified right now because they have announced that Ben Wagner won't be traveling with them yeah. at all this season. It's it's uh, so how maybe, much could what how much are they saving? Because how much is so well, everything they're, that, they're saving on they're saving on all that travel, hotel, food, all that. That's a large expense. It is how, large how, how what's a large expense? Is it a hundred thousand? Is it fifty thousand? Both could be right. Both could be right. Both could be right. Okay, so let's say it's a hundred thousand. Yeah. So you're an expert, and I'm going to put you on the spot. You you said that I didn't. I said it. You're an expert, (laughs) and you understand ratings and you understand the value of partnerships. You're telling me that we couldn't. You and I, two idiots. I said it again. (laughs) Walk into, you know the underground of Toronto and sell a partnership that guaranteed somebody the exclusive rights to sell road games for the Toronto Blue Jays and make a quarter of a million dollars to sell that sponsorship to carry that cost. Like, come on, there's just, it's hard to believe. I think, I think if you made that your focus and you said, we're going to do this, I think you could. Yes, I think you could. What is what is the end game for for these broadcasters and these content providers? It's margins. How much can we get? How much can we say? What is our, our our margin here? And they do look at it differently than you and I do. I'm an I'm a I'm a. The further you get away from the studio, the easier it is for you to understand and accept that Joe Bowen in a studio. And Ben Wagner in a studio versus traveling him makes sense. The closer you are to it, the less sense it makes to you to do that. And you have to successfully be able to argue that. And so certain broadcasters 100% agree and they'll travel all the time. We, When we travel, we see crews of six and seven people all the time and they'll never change. And that's where I'm at. There are others who look at it much, much, much differently. And their belief is that what's coming out of the speaker is the same. It's not different. Where they're broadcasting from doesn't matter. We had, There's proof of that, by the way. When the earthquake happened in San Francisco in the 80s, I had Tom Cheek and Jerry Howarth, Buck Martinez and Tommy Hutton, and I had Roger Bullock and Jacques Doucette for the French broadcast crew. We were all out there, Jonah. We were all there, all of us broadcasting. So we had uh, the crews all in place to be able to broadcast across the country in French and in English. And it was a proud moment. It always was for all of us to be able to do that. 
when that earthquake happened and we came home, we did not travel everybody back. But if you listen to the radio, the World Series sounded the same. Yeah, there's always circumstances that are exceptions, and I understand that. But I'd like to think that in a season where they're hyping things, they're spending oodles of cash on players, they fixed up the dome, the expectations are through the roof. And as you and I both know, and I love Joe Bowen, there's nothing like listening to a baseball game on a summer night when you're driving up to the cottage or you're at the cottage and you can hear the background noise of the stadium. Wagner's actually very good at what he does. Tom Cheeky isn't, but that's okay. And hearing the background audio of the stadium in between pitches, there's nothing that replicates that. And when he's sitting in a anticlimactic, antiseptic studio, it's just different. And to me, somebody, a bean counter, somebody high above is looking at an Excel spreadsheet that just doesn't get it. And to me, that's the highest disrespect for Wagner and an even higher disrespect for the Blue Jay brand and for the, and the, the Sportsnet brand. Couldn't say it any better. I wouldn't argue that. I, I couldn't say it any better. <laughs> I would, I'm, I'm on the same page. Well, it's been uh, an honor having you, having you on today. You, you've really educated me. Uh, there's a lot of people that have a lot of questions along these lines because there's, there's too many naysayers out there that are very happy to say that radio is dead. And I keep coming back to the point that we're talking about alphabet soup and what we call it doesn't really matter. People like listening, whether it's in the car, walking the dog, people like listening. So I don't care what we call it. The dialogue isn't going anywhere. And it's, it's really important to me for reasons that I can't understand that we keep this medium alive and that we keep encouraging young people to get into the business, to tell stories. It, uh, I want to keep seeing young people get into the business as long as we play sports and as long as we do movies and as long as we're political and we want people to engage and be social with each other, there should be this form and this medium. And the more people keep saying it's dead, it's dying, don't get into it, the more harm they're doing. And I'm hoping that uh, others like me can be lightning rods against that because I think it's important. Yeah, I, I think it's important too. Keep in mind, the next day after a game, if I can go back to that, did you hear what Bob McCowan said is much different than saying, did you hear or listen to his podcast about what happened? That's a different experience. That's a totally different experience. And I do believe that radio will remain very much a part of the whole equation. I, I, I believe that. I'm still in it. I still enjoy doing it. I still really enjoy being part of it. I love listening to really good talent, execute really good radio. That hasn't changed. And by the way, um, Odyssey is investing in that, just so you know. Well, I told you off air, Ted Koppel put me to bed every night because... No matter the story of the day, I wanted to see what he did on it. And I used to get into my car every day and hear McCowan's take on whatever the sports story of the day was. And we miss that. Uh, yeah. Overdrive on TSN is great and it's really fun, but nobody still captures 
that and it live or streamed i'm out west so it's usually streamed but nobody really captures for me the here's what happened today here's the playmakers if you will for what happened today and here's a good recap of why it happened and uh i, I am hopeful that this will continue and i really appreciate your time and uh, hoping we can have you back again in, in the press row anytime john i really enjoyed spending time with you and speaking with you it, um, it's, it was fun and easy Till next time, we'll see you in the press row. Thanks for listening to Alan Davis in the press row. The one movie I watch no matter the time of day when I see it on TV is The Shawshank Redemption. Perhaps my most favorite line is the one when Red reads his letter from his dear friend, Andy Dufresne. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. I'll be hoping this letter finds you and finds you well. Well... I hope this episode gives you hope for talk media generally and sports talk specifically. I want to thank Alan Davis for spending some time with me. I think you'll agree we're all better for it. My DMs are always open on Twitter, and you can always reach me via email too. On Twitter, it's at YYZ Sports Media. Via email, it's Jonah at YYZSportsMedia.com. If you like this episode, please follow in the press row wherever you listen to your audio. If you want to advertise or be a guest, just let me know. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.